Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast where we connect industry leaders to discuss experiences, challenges and successes in the gaming industry. I'm Adam and your host for today and I'm joined with Anton Letoff, Nils Björk, Amanda Granberg and Simon Rosenkotter to discuss how to immerse a player in a world. But before we jump into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions of who you are and what you do. So uh, Anton, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I'm Anton. Obviously, I'm um, ma- art manager and producer over at Paradox Interactive. Uh, more specifically, on on PDS Paradox Development Studios. I um, I oversee sort of the art production for uh, for Stellaris uh, and a uh, an unannounced gate from our our part of the studio. Awesome, uh, Amanda. Uh, yeah, hello, happy to be here. Uh, I work at uh, Avalanche. Um, I work as a mission designer. Previously, I worked as a world designer over there. Been there for about two and a half years. And I work on their game, Generation Zero. Awesome. Uh, Simon? Yes, I am Simon. I, I'm a lead level designer at Fast Travel Games. We are making VR games, only VR games. Uh, yeah, I've been there for about a year and a half now. Nice. And uh, finally, but not least, uh, Nils. Yeah, hello. Uh, I am Neil Svansenbjerke, and I am the narrative team lead at Arrowhead Game Studios. Uh, I've been working there for eight years in various capacities uh, before I arrived as a narrative team lead. Nice. Thanks for that, everyone. Uh, As always, you've each brought a question relevant to the the discussion of how to immerse a player in a world. And so we'll work our way around the room with each of you to pose your question and your reasoning behind it. And then everyone will have the opportunity to uh, give their take on the situation. So uh, let's start with Anton. What's your question and what do you mean by that? I, I thought about immersion and I, I thought about um, what we as sort of coming from different fields, different crafts and different experience, what we think is the sort of the most important thing for a player to feel immersed um, in what we're doing, um, how we how we create that and what's important for us when we create that and how we succeed with that basically. Um, so yeah, there was, I, I don't know if I have a good answer to it. I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear people's opinions of it and thoughts and, and, and how you deal with that, uh, in your studios and, and et cetera. And um, I, I think like for me personally, the most important thing for immersion is that it's like an internally consistent world so that everything makes sense for the world. It doesn't mean that it needs to be hyper-realistic, like everything needs to work exactly like in the real world. It just needs to, the player needs to be able to um, predict what's going to happen and just accept what is happening in the world. So if you come from it from like a graphical standpoint, like in realistic games, I, I for example, would get very, I, I get in, immediately get thrown out of the immersion by just seeing unrealistic water. And that, I know that's really hard to do, but it's just one thing that is like, that immediately puts me out of the out of the game. Um, but like in in terms of level design, I think what I'm always looking for is that it doesn't make sense for the character. Does this world make sense for the character to inhabit? And there's like everything from dimensions to how you interact with the world and all that. I think that's super important. Yeah, I I agree. That was like. Uh similar to my first thoughts as well, like about cohesion and how about like uh, the world doesn't have to be super realistic, but everything in the game kind of needs to pull uh, in the same direction. 
Uh, so like even if there are menus, for example, which can be like uh, easy to break immersion with, but if the menus like have the same feel as uh, the game world as a whole and like every action and uh, the, the audio and just everything feels very well fitted together. Uh, it's a very good thing for immersion, right? Uh, I'm actually curious since you brought up menus because there is a fairly prevalent school of UI design thought that they should like for I think like Destiny is an example that comes to mind where the menus are very they are they aren't designed to like blend in with the game aesthetics they are designed visually to so that you won't even almost think about them they are so kind of clean and sterile that uh, you, you you're not even thinking about them like. How do you feel about that? Do 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 you like like that, or are you more a fan of when the menus kind of blend into the theme of the game? Yeah, but I I would say that I like it when they blend in just for the immersion. If they are like more sterile or stuff, I can see that being good. If like you have a need for a lot of menus, and maybe also like uh, maybe the goal isn't for the game to be super immersive either. Uh, right. Some sometimes yeah you you want to go for that, but sometimes maybe it's uh, other things like you want to prioritize uh, super clear communication, and that might be better than with the uh, very clear ones. Uh, yeah, I think uh, for for the for the original question, uh, I'm I think I'm kind of coming in from almost a step higher. Uh, like for, for immersion for me in a game is like whenever I'm reminded that I'm playing a video game. Uh, especially if the game isn't doing what I like expect it to do, like bad UI, for example, is very immersion immersion breaking. Uh, and some of the most immersion, most, some of the most immersed I've been in a game isn't even in a like a narrative game, uh, like Fire Axis XCOM, for example. Like the hours just vanish and I'm completely absorbed by the game. So I think my answer would be, and it, I I guess it's kind of goes a bit outside the narrative. Uh, narrative framing uh, of the question uh, but I feel like it's almost more important that the video game doesn't remind you constantly that you're playing a video game and annoys you uh, with like like how do I do this thing uh, why can't I go here you know the 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 invisible walls that I <laughs> like I I want to go over there but I can't for no good reason like there is a there's a whole craft of making invisible walls that are there and make sure the player don't want or even thinks about <laughs> wanting to go uh, across them. But so I think things like that for me and ob obviously what uh, Simon and Amanda mentioned, just having a uh, like in all uh, narrative media, just make it having the world make sense and having internal rules and being believable as opposed to realistic. Uh, I don't think it's even possible to make a realistic video game unless it's hyper focused on some little detail like drop the ball uh, or something uh, but uh, believability uh, like, okay there are dragons in this world and I guess they function like this and they should always function like this they shouldn't suddenly do something uh, they shouldn't <laughs> uh, Antoine uh, look like you wanted to make a point there yeah, I, I, I had I, I had a thought and then forgot it, but now I, I, I you know, I remembered it again. But but it is like because I can feel sometimes or a lot of times actually that there are different kinds of immersion, right? Like you have the you have the 
you know, the most obvious example in the world where they were, you know, Reddit Redemption. Um, like you have that environment and character immersion thing where you just, you know, you want to be a part of that world and you feel like you are a part of that world and you feel like you are Arthur and all of that, right? But then you also have the 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 sort of the immersion that, that you kind of touched upon Niels, with the, you know, the, the simulation part uh, or the simulation type of games out there. Um, as a as an example, I, I, I am a vivid football manager player. I, I, I pour tons of hours into, you know, managing lower level English teams. Um, and that can feel at times that can feel like the most immersive things ever, like me being a manager for a lower league football club. Um, but that is basically just menus on top of menus on top of menus. Um, and I think that that sort of is the, is the sort of source for my question. Like how can both those two be feel as immersive, but in two completely different ways. Um, but at the same time, I can sort of pour hours into it. I don't know if that was a, you know, a, a question for anyone or if anyone want to put something, but I, 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 I think it's super interesting that, that one, that two completely different games can feel immersive, but for com two completely different reasons or, or something. Yeah. I, I, I feel like video games almost, it's harder to have a narrative immersion in video games. Uh, especially if you're doing the thing that, that I'm not, I don't hate it, but I'm not a huge fan of the classical video game that, that kind of, uh, alternates between being a video game and being a movie, you know, the Uncharted, the Last of Us, that you're playing a video game and then, oh, we can't tell the story in the video game, uh, uh media. So now we're going to make a movie here, a cutscene. Um, that for me has a way higher risk of like breaking immersion because I'm like being active and then I'm passive and then I'm active and then I'm passive. Uh, whereas things like Portal, for example, actually does manage to be completely a video game while telling a story. Uh, it's very immersive. Uh, so I would say that like the football manager, I mean, it's a completely different channel. Like UI is so hard <laughs> to do well, uh, but uh, on a more holistic scale, like narrative immersion in video game, I feel like is is very difficult. Uh, and uh, it, there's a reason that things like Portal kind of stands out because they manage to marry uh, complete 100% interactivity uh, with the narrative. Uh, and I'm not like, to me, that would be the goal uh, in a video game narrative. But that said, there are so many people, like the Gods of Wars and The Last of Us are some of the most popular video games there is. So obviously I can't sit there and say that it's the wrong, <laughs> the wrong path to go. But in the context of what's more, more immersive, uh, I would say going the harder route uh, and avoid uh, being a movie or <laughs> part of the playtime. But I, that, I think this goes back to, to what you said earlier, like uh, the game stops doesn't remind you that it is a game constantly like whether it's a football simulator or uncharted well uncharted reminds you it's a movie and a game all the time <laughs> but, but like as long as that doesn't happen that you get reminded oh, oh i'm just playing a game i'm not actually managing uh sheffield united or whoever <laughs> uh they might not be a lower league team but i don't know <laughs> um yeah go ahead oh sorry did i interrupt you okay 
Yeah, but that's uh, another thing I'm thinking about. Like, uh, there are things that break immersion uh, that you have touched upon. Uh, and then there are things uh, which would like be another category that actively increases immersion. So there are a lot of things that can break immersion, like uh, making the player uh, remember that they're playing a game, uh, such as uh, the invisible, invisible walls you mentioned, and or like if the controls are clunky, uh, then it's very hard to get immersion uh, because your link to the avatar is severed and you want to like pour yourself into that avatar for the immersion to happen. Uh, or also if, if you don't really understand how something works, so you have to stop and think like, how am I supposed to do this or such? Uh, immersion can also be broken. And I feel like just a lot of things uh, can break the immersion if they are not polished enough. Uh, but then it's very interesting to see like, okay, but if, if we get all that right, what can we then do to like, what things can we then add that actively increase uh, the immersion? Uh, which I, I, I was thinking about interactivity in this as well, to like be in a world that like you have options, you have uh, a lot of things you can do, which I think maybe is something that's at play at uh, like a lot of your paradox games and like the, the football manager games, because there's so many options. So it gets very stimulating, uh, which keeps your mind constantly busy. And also if it's, uh, if it's more a first or third person a game where you walk around in a world and if it's like if the world constantly reacts to you and doesn't feel like an empty painting because just walking through like an empty painting will soon uh, stop feeling immersive but if like the the flowers react a lot to you uh, and also you have a lot of possibilities uh, all the time then I think you will also become more immersed in that experience. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like boredom, <laughs> simple boredom is very immersion breaking. Yeah. I was just going to jump in here. It's like, you know, uh, Nils, your question seems we're getting a bit onto the, the topic of yours. I just thought I'd give you the opportunity to sort of formally uh, ask the question. Oh, yeah. So my question was, um, given that immersion is fairly dependent on the game being finished to some degree, given what we're talking about, like how easy it is to break immersion when things are clunky and doesn't work, right? Uh, obviously, a game isn't finished until it's finished. So for the, the most of the development, we play a janky, <laughs> uh, buggy version of the game. Uh, so my question is, uh, if you have any tips on how to test for immersion, like both internally and especially when you send builds to UX tests, uh, like, or do you have any tips for questions to to send to the tester? Like, what what are you looking for? How do you know that you're uh, on the right track when it comes to immersing a player in the final product? Because you are kind of blind to it. You've been playing this uh, forever. Uh, so yeah, that's my question. How do you test for immersion? How do you know what questions to ask? Just uh, as a, like first uh, thought regarding that, I was thinking it would be interesting to actually have that discussion in a team. Uh, like what kind of immersion are we looking for? Uh, since we were uh, touching on the topic that immersion might mean different things. Uh, so to just sit down and discuss uh, what we're after and also like how the different people in the team have experienced uh, immersion and how that feels and kind of try to pinpoint some 
some keywords uh, for uh, uh, yeah, well, what feels important and what you maybe can see that a lot of people share uh, when experiencing this feeling. Yeah, uh, I I, I want to sort of jump in there and piggyback on, on Amanda's answer for for a bit as well because I think it's it's a super interesting question because like a lot of um, a lot of our products from from Paradox it takes you a while to actually feel immersed. Uh, so like if you're if you played Stellaris or if you played you know CK3 or or Wiki3 as the latest latest example, it can take you you know up to ten hours to actually understand the game and then sort of. Um, or understand the, the the major parts of the game and then actually start to play the game for real. Um, and it's not like you can bring in sort of external testers and be like, well, here you go, sit down for 10 or 20 hours and test the game and see if it's in, immersed. But but yeah, um, I guess that's a follow-up question more than, a, than an answer to anything. I wouldn't say that uh, for the purpose of, of my question, I think the more tricky uh context will be the narrative immersion because i feel like it's kind of a little bit easier to know if your game is breaking immersion for janky ui and stuff uh but is the player taking away the world you are trying to build are they getting the right mood are they picking up on your little narrative clues and stuff um yeah that, that's probably uh the the trickier part that i would be uh, more curious about i think vr development actually has like a slight advantage here because you can tell whether somebody is immersed, at least if it's like a character-driven game, like, and the character is like, oh, you play as a, I don't know. Wait, I don't want to give away what we're working on. <laughs> you, you play as a space marine, so you play this big hulking figure, and you, you, you know that you're supposed to act in a certain way as a, as a space marine. Like, you can then tell just by watching somebody play, do they behave like they think a soldier should behave. And I think that's that's the advantage of VR, that people kind of act out their experiences if they are immersed. Uh, yes. Well, so you can like watch their body language uh, and you see like the more, the more like physical they get, the more immersed they are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, I, I think it's one, like, of course, they might also just be very expressive with the hands in general, but like, I, I think in in general you can you can tell that somebody is immersed in the experience just by them acting out the character because there's not always a need to do the exact motions that you need to do. You don't need to go for a full punch motion. You can just like do smaller movements. But if somebody's really immersed, they will punch and they will hit their screen at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, a bit like a, a racing game when you're turning with the controller. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Are, are VR games, like I never worked on a VR game, so I don't know, but during development are like VR games like super, can they be like very disruptive for the tester to play if they are buggy or like, are there like inherent <laughs> safeguards to not have like physics bugs throw you <laughs> around the room or things like that? Uh, no, you get the, the exact same physics box and it's all out. You just get the added, added motion sickness. So mm. That's not great. <laughs> yeah. No, that is true okay. that VR. Uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead, Amanda. And for the for the narrative immersion that you mentioned, Nils, I was thinking like it's I, I always I would find it interesting to ask 
the the testers or players what made them feel drawn into the world uh like what what parts felt most engaging to them uh and then maybe also follow up with why or if and then if there were parts that didn't feel engaging to them uh maybe that could be like a little bit of finding like parts of immersion and trying to then see like okay because then engagement and immersion is kind of similar but maybe easier to ask uh, but and also to see like uh, as uh, simon mentioned before with uh, how it's important for the world to feel logical for it to be immersive uh, to also ask if there were any parts of the like both game as in mechanics but also narrative that felt strange or illogical in some way for them that made them stop and ask like okay what how is that working i did i didn't think it would be like that because then you could have then you would have the disruption uh how long should it should it take for the player to feel immersed like how 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 long do we think that we have the player's attention or the tester's attention or whatever it may be um to sort of get into the game and feel immersed before they they, they shut it down and they want to do something else uh how how do you test for that if that makes sense you want it as quickly as possible no yeah exactly <laughs> I think you probably have, like, yeah, like Amanda says, as quickly as possible. If you can hook them immediately, then it's best, of course. I think you have some leeway depending on your game. If you can telegraph that there are things coming that they are mm. compelled by, then you have a little bit more leeway. Uh, so if you have a very complicated game, like the games you are making, uh, you have a very distinct profile, like, you have you can have a trust from your player base like they know if they put in the time that it will pay off uh so it's yeah, i think it's a little bit of a case-by-case -case basis but i there's probably not really a situation where it's like good <laughs> if it <laughs> takes a long time uh but it's also i i guess the closest to that would be that some some gaming experience simply aren't intuitive like sometimes you just can't <laughs> get like immediately like in the paradox games i imagine i haven't actually played them but i imagine you will have to put in <laughs> some time because it is just maps and menus and you will have to like understand how the game functions before you get immersed in the stories that uh, that those kind of games takes um but you probably need to really know why you are doing it and like what you're doing if you like yeah, it's gonna take ten hours before the, <laughs> the players immersed. Uh, you 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 really need to know what you're doing at that point, I think. Uh, but I would say even from software games, uh, or like have a fairly big barrier to entry in terms of mechanics, but they are also incredible. That just the world you step into. Uh, so I feel like that's a situation where you can get kind of like I'm not really getting anywhere. I just get killed immediately. But there's so much there that you feel compelled or a lot of people feel compelled to kind of soldier through it so they can explore these worlds which i guess means they are immersed in a way <laughs> yeah because then like uh, getting killed quickly and then trying over that's part of the experience and it's part of the world so it doesn't break the immersion uh, but it can actually build on it and making you like extra happy when you finally succeed and such so i guess then we like 
learning the game mechanics as in more menu based or such if that would be like if the learning experience could also be made to feel immersive like all the steps are are still enjoyable uh could be something and maybe you could test for that uh like how how quickly they learn and how nice it feels to learn it's making me uh think of uh with, with the talk of uh powering through soldiering die respawn die respawn makes me think of uh you know by the end of it when you finish the game uh you feel battle hardened like the uh the character in the game so uh, yeah. by getting annoyed <laughs> it makes you feel like it um but i'm interested to point the question to, to you simon you know how fast do you think it should take because uh, you come from the vr uh area so what are your thoughts on that I, I pretty much agree with Amanda. It should be as quickly as possible. <laughs> At least in character-driven game. Like, it would be a very different story in a grand strategy game because you can't expect someone to be immersed in five minutes because probably they haven't even uncovered all the menu systems that are there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I'm actually super curious what it, how do you test that? How do you... Yeah. Like, in, in a grand strategy game, like the game that Paradox makes, how do you like at what at what point do you know you have a fun game? I mean, this is a bit going away from immersion, but like because at the beginning it's like spreadsheets, I imagine. And then like at what point can you like confidently give it this game to somebody to test and actually tell whether they're enjoying it or whether they're just struggling with the UI still? Yeah, I, I think that I think that um, it's it's something for us. I think what Neil touched upon previously with I think it was you know uh, with it with the trust thing that sort of our we know that our players trust us uh, that with that thing that things will come right um but I also sort of want to want to sort of raise the flags uh, for for the the CK3 team and the Vicky team um because they they did huge work with the uh, sort of the onboarding of players. Um, they did a, a, a fantastic job of onboarding new players who haven't really played our games before with, you know, easier sort of countries to manage, easier sort of people to manage um, and all of that so that the players sort of could take their first sort of small baby steps into the world of grand strategy games. And then whenever they felt like they sort of managed uh, the, the, the easy countries or whatever they could also sort of try try out the more harder things um and that's that's i think that that has given us a lot of um new players actually that that we've got then a good onboarding system for our new players and together with that a very sort of very good um, tips and tricks system, if you will. You get hints and you get sort of recommendations that as every game does. Um, but now we kind of purposely focus on onboarding new players in a good way so that they can stick around for longer as well. Awesome. Uh, think we've got any final points to make on uh, Anton's additional question there? If not, we'll uh, move on to Amanda's question. Um, yeah, so... But since uh, I work as a mission designer and I'm also like interested in narrative games, uh, so I was thinking how we can use missions or quests or maybe I guess narrative in general uh, to uh, increase immersion the best we can. Uh, so any thoughts on that? Um, I 
it's, it's funny. This question is way harder than it should be, I think, like, uh, because my first thought is like, how do you stop missions and quests from breaking immersion? Because they feel like, like a video <laughs> game concept. Um, I think personally, uh, I would like to see missions and quests be like more obfuscated and feel more legitimately like something that's uh, like important things uh, in the game world. Uh, I, I, I feel like they really have become such a video game concept that people just, here's your quest log, here's the person giving you a mission, you get a weird arbitrary reward for it. Everything is very formulae, uh, usually. Uh, and on one hand, it's so common that it almost doesn't break immersion because people who play video games just take it <laughs> for granted. This is how it works. But it certainly doesn't add to immersion in my uh, point, especially this open world checkpoint uh, uh, checklist kind of games. So I think what I would really like to see more of is where you're given a mission where everything just clicks together. It feels important. It doesn't feel like why am I even doing this? I had this super important thing over here that I should be doing instead of going over here just to get a box of random crap that this peasant didn't have any business even owning. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I feel like CRPGs tends to be pretty good at this, like the Baldur Skates uh, and stuff. Uh, I feel like they are fairly good at creating a context and a, like a timeline of your character is doing that allows for them to go on all these weird little errands because they typically don't have like it. You need, there's a guy summoning a meteor over here. You need to get there quickly. And then you, I'm just going to raise some chocobos over here. Uh, and that is more like, oh, I got some money for my trouble. Uh, things like that. So uh, trying to summarize a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just would love to see more, a little bit more obfuscation. Uh, of the mechanics of missions and quests, uh, I really think the player can kind of handle <laughs> handle it not being like super in your face. Here's your mission. Here's your reward. Here's the quest giver. Um, so at least in a narrative experience, uh, that's what I would say. I'm just gonna jump in here because I'm I'm no game developer, but I, I sure am a gamer. Um, so like I just wanted to throw out in terms of quests and uh, missions that you know, so for me at least has been the most immersive is, uh, you know, like say, for example, Telltale games or Bethesda games, where it's just small things where during the narrative, you make a decision and later, it might not have to be this grand thing like, here, here's a crown, you're now king of uh, the Mushroom Kingdom, for example. But it may just be something like when you next go to, you know, the main area, for example, there's something that shows your actions have taken place. Maybe it's a... Um, you know, a load of empty boxes because someone's had to move out. It's not directly told like here, but it's shown. So like in a sense, instead of the arbitrary rewards at the end of a mission, you're just kind of shown that you're making an impact in the world you're playing in. And that's sort of a reward in itself. And what people's thoughts were on that. Yeah, that's very nice. I, I for sure love that to see like the little things and they are so fun to design as well to just throw those little details in. Yeah, that that's usually more of like a production problem, like all these permutations of options uh, that tends to <laughs> put a stop to that. But absolutely, having player uh, having player actions uh, affect the world is is really big for immersion. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I pretty much agree with that. It's like, it's really nice when your actions impact the world. But I also agree with Niels when he said, like, it, it should matter to the character. Like, if you're saving the world, you shouldn't need to pick up 10 mushrooms or something like that. It's, it's just weird. <laughs> so I think games should try to, to include less quests that don't really matter to the character. Like, it's really nice to have them, but I don't think they add to the immersion. Like, I was playing a Tomb Raider game the other day. And, and at some point, you come across this village where you can collect seven chickens for some reason. Like, you're not told why you can do it, and you're not sure why it is good to do it. But, like, if you pick up one chicken, it pops up a quest like, oh, collect seven of these and throw them in the chicken pen or whatever it's called. It's like, okay, I was kind of saving the world here right now, but I guess I'll do this now. <laughs> But yeah, that's the problem of uh, uh, when the the character want and the player want is not the same, right? Uh, so for the for the mission to feel immersive, uh, we want it to be not only in the game that people that the character is like, yeah, I really want to collect chicken right now, uh, but uh, you want it to be something that me as it's logical, like you want to form the mission and the uh, maybe that whole area. Uh, around wanting, making the player also uh, want uh, to do the thing that is the mission. And it's kind of very seldom that the player actually cares about like running errands. Uh, but on the other hand, if it's like you see an NPC uh, lying, bleeding on uh, in the middle of a desert and screaming for help, you really want to go there and help this person and take it to the a uh, little lake that you passed uh, some time ago. So if the quest then would be that you help this person get there, uh, I think it, then it would be much more immersive because it's like there was no no UI had to tell you to do that. Or maybe it did as well as a helper, but uh, it was designed to to give you this emotion of wanting to help. Yeah, but but then I think like it should shouldn't come with UI. Like I I think the chicken collection mission would have been a lot less intrusive if they were, I could just do it and then if I after a certain amount I just some NPC comes by and thanks me for collecting all the chickens. I think that would be better than collect all the chickens and here are seven seven thousand XP points. It's like, okay, <laughs> it's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, it's in in I feel like in AAA at least and. At double A, we kind of painted ourselves into a corner with this expectation of getting rewards for everything. And like, just there has to be so much content and tasks and side missions and everything needs to get rewards. And it's just an impossible task to contextualize all of it. So it has to be standardized. And then you get run into these things like, oh, this Tomb Raider village, you have to have invent like tw 20 activities. And like, oh, okay. And then once you have come up with like five good ones you'll be down to like I guess collect 10 chickens <laughs> uh, and I really don't know like I feel like you would have just to have be on a on a mission pun intended to just get away from that uh, and kind of dare to be more like I, I was sitting here thinking on uh, Diablo 1 uh, which is one of my favorite games the first like quest uh, you get is uh, when you go up to you're gonna just gonna go down into the church and there's like a village is dying and he, you talk to him and he says something about a demon called the butcher and then you go down and eventually you encounter the butcher is like a special demon in a special room 
and you kill the butcher and that's kind of it. Like, it's just a cool experience. Uh, you do get a unique weapon from him, but that is very contextualized because you get the butcher's cleaver. Uh, and I, I just feel I want to see more of that uh, to, to try and come up with a structure. I guess Elden Ring is probably fairly close. Uh, they have all these unique weapons that you find in unique places. Uh, so I, I guess that's kind of what, what I would want to see more of. But obviously, it's it's very very difficult to do, or at least time consuming. Yeah, um, I, I I also kind of agree with everyone as well. Um, and something for me that that is also kind of obvious, I guess. But when whenever a sort of a mission or a quest or such sort of supports the the story, I guess that this happens um, often earlier on in in like initial missions or quests. Um, so whenever there, there there is a quest, even if it is for you know pick up chickens or collect chickens or whatever, um, if that supports the story, uh, the narrative, then I'm all in because then sort of it, it makes me also kind of and that's the next thing it makes me curious about this character, this world, and whenever that happens, and whenever I feel like I want to play more and I want to do this again or I want to see why I did it, uh, it's um, ma- it makes me feel immersed at least through missions or through quests i was going to jump in there um and just kind of ask a general question uh sort of off the back of what uh, simon about what nils was saying about uh ui you know you go over you pick up the chicken then boom here's a you know a quest you've got to do for some dude you may have spoken to 30 hours in your playthrough um do you reckon games may go back to sort of what they used to do in some of the old uh if we go back to like daggerfall for example the elder scrolls um or morrowind a little bit where you do something and the you aren't given an exact go to someone give them this then do this it's more so oh you found a big rock what could you do with this and make the player kind of think in the shoes of the player and don't just kind of hand it to them on a plate do you reckon games may go back into that uh, or do you think we're too far gone in the industry I, I think there's definitely space for some games to do that. I don't think all games should do it because like the the range of people who play games is so much bigger these days than they were back in the day. So it, it kind of makes sense that there could be a niche for games like that, I think. And I, I would personally like it. I'm also like a big fan of just minimalism in game design. Like don't throw in everything, just throw in stuff that adds to the world, kind of. But yeah, these kind of more parsley mission design, I think that would be super nice to have. Because I, I definitely miss old forums where you're kind of like forced to speak to people and figure out how the hell do I do this uh, to get this to complete the level and then it engages people. Uh, Nils, it looks like you wanted to make a point there. Uh, yeah, I also accidentally turned off my headset, so that might have been what you saw. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I uh, basically, I was going to say what Simon says, uh, but I do think with the massive success of Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild, uh, I think that there are more studios that, that studios that would be eyeing uh, that kind of design um, at this point. I think it's uh, hard to do that in very big games, though. Uh, I find it uh, maybe more suitable for smaller games uh, because when it's in big, like yeah, Elden Ring, as you said, they do this uh, quite a lot. But like in my taste, they do it too uh, obscurely. Uh, so. Uh, I I didn't really, but I also played without like the little messages, so I didn't really uh, 
it was just too hard to find and ha know how to follow up. So I had to go on the forums. So of course, if that's like the intended experience, then it could be nice because it's community building, etc. Uh, but when you have a very big game, uh, then it becomes so hard to just keep track of what has happened before. But if you have a game that's like takes three hours to play, so you play it in like one or two sittings, uh, then it should be perfectly fine to explore these uh, things a lot more and it could feel more more yeah easily immersive you would probably have to oh sorry anton uh yeah well i just wrap up my point uh yeah you would probably have to make the player feel very okay with not having a completionist mentality in these kind of games and just kind of okay i don't know where the hell that uh, goes i'm just gonna <laughs> continue here and i do agree with you i was actually also kind of frustrated with Elden rings uh, Elden Ring, how obtuse it was for the quest lines uh, but it, it, i still prefer that over something like the horizon or far cry kind of style how did you guys both since both of you gave that example Nils and amanda how did you did you feel with because uh, I, you know, um, weird confession, but I haven't played Elden Ring. I've obviously see, seen that, seen seen the playthroughs and, and all of that. But how did you feel with immersion then, when when you had to sort of step out of the game and go into the forums and look up the sort of solution? Did you feel more immersed because of that, uh, because you learned something or whatever, or did you feel less immersed because you have to? go into the forums and, and look for the, the answers. Yeah, I for sure feel less immersed uh, because it also, like for me to get to the point where I go look at the forums, then I have to first have reached the level of being annoyed at not figuring it out myself. Uh, and getting annoyed with something in the game is very immersion breaking. <laughs> so. uh, and that's for my part, uh, I actually only play from software games offline uh, because I don't want the online component because I think these worlds are so immersive that I don't want the online components to come in and <laughs> break immersion. Uh, I recognize the brilliance on, of how they have designed the online component of these games, but I want no part of it. <laughs> um, so for me, so I was, I'm uh, very immersed, but uh, I, it, like Amanda said, I do of course get annoyed sometimes when I can't figure things out, but I'm fine with it. I just like, okay, I, I don't know what the hell this is. I'm just not gonna bother with it. There are so much other stuff I can go investigate. Uh, so it's, it's not a huge immersion breaking, at least not to the degree that like my immersion scoring of Elden Ring, <laughs> uh, takes a big hit. Uh, but yeah, in such a big sprawling game, uh, there are moments where like, okay, what were they thinking here <laughs> for sure. So just another point completely, um, but regarding the, like using missions or narrative for immersion, I've been thinking about urgency some, uh, a bit as well, uh, because I find that when like the, when there's like maybe a sudden increase in urgency, uh, or such, I find that I get more immersed, uh, especially if like it can take me by surprise a bit, like I'm walking around, uh, exploring a world and then suddenly someone is like uh there's a robbery here help me come or something and i'm like oh shit okay uh people are shooting i have to do something and then i have to like react to that and i get drawn into it and suddenly a lot of things are happening and kind of that jolt i i feel like it's something that you can use to kind of surprise 
your players who maybe had started to drift off and think about something else and then they're like snapped back into into the game and uh, depending on what genre you're in maybe you want like to keep a kind of high urgency uh, or have some urgency uh, kind of all the time or it can ebb and flow a bit but it's definitely something that can be consciously played with also if like you see maybe you pinpoint some points of your game that might be less engaging or you have fall off and and such or uh, they feel boring uh, and to then uh, like what even if you just have a low-key emergency of like okay or urgency like maybe someone's life is just getting a little bit more at stake uh, and that would then for me draw me into the narrative uh, a lot more because it's something is asked of the my my avatar my character uh, they need to do something they need to perform some something uh, for for things to not go bad and uh, that engages me super interesting I, I totally agree with you Emma. and I also kind of think that just knowing that that can happen also sort of increases immersion as well like walking around in the forest or whatever it may be and just having in the back of your head that something can just pop up now something can just happen really sort of increases the immersion as well that you want to be on the lookout for things like that so yeah totally agree yeah i, I really like that idea as well and i think it would have improved like a game like skyrim would really have improved with some urgency because you can put up the main quest forever and ever like it would have been really nice if is something kept on reminding me as though you should defeat this final boss at some point <laughs> like if yeah like in the skies would grow more and more dark if you yeah off for too long yeah so then exactly. you could do like a, a bit on the quest line and the skies would bright again or something yeah i, I think that would that would be really cool it's probably difficult to pull off but it would be super super cool uh xcom 2 does this really well it has this doom clock uh, that ticks down and you can kind of try among all the things you're juggling you can kind of do certain like tasks or missions to kind of buy yourself some time um so yeah i, I also agree time nothing nothing gets you going like time pressure but uh, that's also a reason a lot of people don't like it <laughs> because they don't like the pressure uh so that's it's it's one of those things that it's like how many people do we want to turn off by this and like what happens if they don't like do a thing in, in time uh, it's like there's all these questions that comes with it that I yeah I don't I, I wish well I guess in general I wish that you can just do whatever in games that strikes your fancy but <laughs> uh, it's always the question how many uh, how many people you want to turn off and how many you engage with that but I guess uh, Arrowhead's motto is a game for everyone is a game for no one uh, so <laughs> in, in that line uh, I, I do like uh, time pressure but I, I, I think like if, if you look back at like Majora's Mask you, you had time pressure but you also had like infinite amount of tries and I think that's really nice maybe that's why time loop games were really popular for like two months the other day yeah ro roguelites certainly capitalize on like uh, success through failure uh, I don't know if there is a roguelite that has like time time limit as a uh, as like a core feature but I feel like it would be a good fit probably to have some sort of Majora's uh, Mask-esque roguelike where you, uh, and that time loop structure where you like constantly fail. I guess maybe Deathloop 
and could maybe be described as like a roguelike in that line. But yeah, that's that could probably work really well, actually. <laughs> I'm uh, just going to jump in here and just make sure, because uh, I know we've got through uh, three questions. We've still got one more to go, so just want to make sure it gets asked. Uh, so, Simon, what's uh, your question? Yeah, so my question is very VR-specific, and that is, should we consider the player's height in making games? So in, in a VR game, usually your character is the same height as you are in the real world. So if you're a short person, relatively short person, then your character will be small. But if you're a tall person, your character will be tall. But then you get in conflict in terms of immersion, because if you're playing as a dwarf, but in the real world you're two meters tall, they really quickly becomes unbelievable. And vice versa, if you play as a super tall space marine, for example, and then you are actually only like 180, which would be short compared to an actual space marine. Like how, how do we resolve this conflict? And you, you, probably, you guys probably don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. I would just like to know like what you think would be the best for immersion. Like, should we just ignore the player's height or should we not do that? <laughs> well, it would be interesting to have uh, in the settings that you can adjust uh, what height you want to be. Uh, I don't know if that's at all doable. Yeah. Uh, but then, then, then you can choose, like, if you want to also, if you want to, like, role play, uh, like, being this uh, tiny dwarf, like, you go down very much. But I don't know, like, is that then uh, weird for the brain? Uh, like, does does it get weird controlling like the hands and everything? Do you fall over? <laughs> you you might not fall over, but there's definitely some weirdness going on. On if if you if you're shorter than you really are in, in real life, wait no, well whatever. Wait, um, if 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 your character is taller than you are in real life, like there's some kind of immersion breaking going on there definitely. But most games these days, I think they do have like. A default height. For example, if you play seated, then we set the uh, player character to be 176, I think, which is like the average height of a person in the US or something, which would be probably the biggest market. And then that's just a default height for everybody. Yeah, I was like, when I tried to think, first of all, it took me a while to understand the question when I read it. I was like, why? Does he care about play height? And then, ah, okay, it was in VR. But yeah, I, get, I was kind of also wondering how much trouble it causes if you're playing some, if you're playing a character of a different height than you. But then I realized, like, when you're bending down, you have a messed up perspective of how far away things are and stuff like that. Uh, so I guess <laughs> I, I started thinking about can you, like, scale everything else? somehow uh they can scale the entire world to make a small person feel like larger or something i don't know uh it's it's a bit too technical for me but um i also guess it's if it's it's kind of specific right it's like if 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 core of the if the core of the fantasy for this game is that you're gonna be a big person then it might be weird if you are a small person um, and uh, like the the way I thought about it is that you would basically have to work with the restrictions. So let's say you want to make a game, you're gonna be some some big person. You you could just change it around so that you are like a person in a mech suit, which would contextualize that you are like you are not one to one with the character you're controlling, 
you are inside a thing that is of a fixed uh, size, uh, which may or may not help you <laughs> uh, solve the problems. Uh, it's yeah, I'm very fascinated by by VR design problems because I haven't really encountered. Uh, but I think that's the closest to any sort of idea I would have that you just have to be more like problem solving in what exactly you're controlling uh, so that you're like maybe you're flying or soaring or you're inside something uh, so that you put like a layer between uh, the the player and the thing they are actually controlling in the game which might help I don't know <laughs> yeah I'm uh, uh, I just started thinking a lot about uh, LARPing uh, which is a big hobby of mine live action role playing game uh, so there you obviously arc yourself you're in your body uh, but then you're you play like uh, you can play dwarves or uh like uh, like it's not often in your character it doesn't say you are very tall and, and big because we can't change that uh but we can still like have a character that like if the reason you wanted the character to be tall and big it's because it's supposed to be someone who's strong and uh, it's very good at beating people up or like to play on the power fantasy or whatever um, but then to ask like okay it's still possible to play on those fantasies uh, and to create those characters like you don't need to be a certain height uh, so more to like uh, maybe form the characters and the narratives and the player fantasies that we create uh, not as much around uh, like the physical bodies uh, and take a bit more attention into uh, what other things make you feel powerful, uh, for example. Yeah, that that's a really good point. And I, I think that's probably the best solution to just make characters that work for everybody. Like anybody can play as a thief. It doesn't matter how tall or small or wide or thin you are. Like you can be a master thief no matter what. And I, I think that's probably a good idea for... VR games, at least until we figure out better solutions there. <laughs> uh, and then you want to avoid to have NPCs, <clears throat> like maybe uh, mention the character's uh, physics. Like you don't, you you don't want an NPC to come and say like, "Oh, you're so uh, thin and slender and short." Uh, of course, you can slip into any window. Uh, so just like that also becomes like a thing for for the narrative to think about. Do you think, Simon, that this kind of this kind of again, not not a, a as as Nils, not not a VR uh, player or, or such? I I don't know the technical uh, aspects of it, but do you think that this is a issue that sort of um, that sort of hinders you from developing certain games, such as like a game where you can customize your characters or not or do you think that this is, until there is a technical solution for it, do you think that this is some games in VR that you can't sort of do as well as you can outside of VR? And do you have like any specific examples you think? Uh, I'm just, I'm just, uh, not not really, but like, I, I think that like from a, I don't know, like, like, let's say The Sims would be in VR or something. I don't know. Uh, then obviously you have different height when you play as different characters, right? Do you think that that could that VR can't pull that off because it's clearly difference in, in, in the height of the players or the height of the characters rather? Um, so what do you think about that kind of thing? 
All right. Yeah. No, I, I think, and, and it, it is possible for sure right now as well. Like, because like once, if you're willing to accept that you, that you are suddenly much shorter than you are in real life, for example, then I think it's no problem, but I, I think then you need to get some leeway from the players, just like you guys need to get from, for your grand strategy games, like. In the, in the case where you play as a baby, then the players need to accept, oh, I'm going to be small and I'm going to be much shorter than I am in real life. And, but I think, I think that's possible and that doesn't need a technical solution. And I'm not even sure how big a problem this really is. It's a bit of a problem when you actually design levels right now, like, because you need to design your level. So it works for people who are like 150 and people who are 210, for example. And so you can't place things too high if you're like a a tall level designer, you, you need to make sure that you place things fairly for people who are shorter than you, for example. <laughs> so it's like in escape rooms. I've uh, heard people yes. in escape rooms, they say like, yeah, there would be no important clues above. And then they like have a, an eye uh, set, set height, uh, just so you also know that going in, like, yeah, not, not worth looking up there. Yeah. Or you design like support abilities like the gravity gloves in Half-Life Alex and or some sort of you know magical eye that can fly around and scout the area or something uh, but yeah that's a probably a good like escape room sounds like a pretty good uh, yeah have you been on uh, with your team Simon to an escape room for uh, oh, we had purposes not, not necessarily for research or for fun but uh, definitely every, most people were very inspired afterwards <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what makes VR development special is that you have to consider the real world a lot more when you do it and real world circumstances. I'm curious, Simon, about, uh, the more extreme, uh, kind of aspects of this, like, uh, to my knowledge, I haven't seen many VR games where you aren't either controlling a human or a humanoid or some sort of, you know, bodiless thing. Like, are there video games where you're like a cat or an elephant or like some non-humanoid thing, but you're still controlling a physical character? And how do you imagine that would work? <laughs> I, I'm not aware of any, but it would be super interesting. Like, how how can you simulate being an octopus if you just have two arms? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that would be a really interesting challenge. I think we should try that out in a game jam or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, because if nothing else, maybe that trying to push so far outside of the human body might uh, give you some learnings about how to better accommodate for them, <laughs> the more, uh, uh, well, for that, for the scope of just different body types. Absolutely. Uh, I think I just wanted to just ask, has anyone got any additional points they want to make um, for any of the questions asked today or Simon's last point? If not, then I guess we'll wrap it up there. So this has been the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Uh, and I want to take this time to just thank Amanda, Anton, Nils and Simon for providing your insight into the topic. And uh, thank you for listening at home. So if you want to get involved on a future podcast, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at adam.miller-betridge at evolution-nordics.com. All right, see you next time.